us from Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. The word of the Lord. Sometimes silence can be a little bit uncomfortable. When Jesus started his ministry, when he began teaching in the synagogues and healing people all around, uh, people began following him right away. They were pretty intrigued by what was happening. And he selected some people that he wanted intentionally to be around him all the time, to be close to him all the time. But apart from those people, there were still thousands that were crowding around him everywhere he went, from town to town, city to city, village to village. Thousands of people were crowding around him. They were begging him. They were asking him. They needed healing. They had questions for him. They wanted him to teach them. They were touching him. They were pushing in around him. There were so many needs within that crowd all the time they had these needs. And of course, just tons of intrigue around Jesus and what he was doing. And it says here in our passage, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Sometimes a lot of noise is uncomfortable too. <laughs> We're spending this summer thinking about, talking about, and hopefully engaging more with prayer. And in the last few weeks in particular, we've been talking about prayers of Jesus. And this has been a thing where we've been looking at all kinds of prayers. We desperately need prayer. We desperately need to be in communication and connection with God. And if you don't think that you need that, you just have to look at the example of Jesus, the Son of God, who regularly went to the Father in prayer. It says here, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, we've been talking about throughout this whole series different kinds of prayers. We started off by just mentioning that God is our friend, right? We can go to him as a friend. And when we are going to him in prayer, it's like coming home. 
We've talked about prayers of intercession, prayers of confession, prayers of longing. We've talked about prayers about the kingdom. We've talked about unanswered prayers. A lot of those kinds of prayers, they can happen within the context of community. But today, we're going to be talking about solitude and silence in prayer. Those sometimes lonely prayers that aren't even spoken. God is waiting for us in the quiet. All the activity around Jesus in the midst of all of that and all of the importance of what he was doing, think about how significant it was that he was there and what he was doing each and every day. In the midst of that, he gives us an example of removing himself from all the people, from all the activity, from all the opportunities to go be with the Father in prayer. And it must have really been often, because not only does it say often in this passage, but you can read through all the Gospels, and all of the Gospels account for Jesus going off on his own alone to be in prayer with the Father. And in Luke, the Gospel of Luke in particular, where our passage comes from, it's actually a significant theme that keeps coming across again and again. So we can look at chapter four in Luke, where it says, early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated, prayer, uh, isolated place. Or chapter six, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Chapter nine, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Chapter 11, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. Regardless of whether anybody else thought it was important for Jesus to do this, he regularly removed himself to go be alone in prayer. And I act like I can live my life and I can do all the things that I need to do without God's help regularly. But when I see Jesus, he is often going away to be with the Father. It's a really good example for us to have. I'm pretty grateful for it because I know that I need it. My tendency is I've got a really busy day and they're not things I can just let drop. They're important things. So I have to keep doing my important things and I can't get away for prayer. Jesus, though, it says he goes into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not just a terrain in the Bible, like if you think about desert or woods or something like that. There's more meaning to it in the Bible. In fact, the wilderness is a pretty significant theme throughout Scripture. If you just think about things like, um, you know, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years or Jesus being tested in the wilderness for 40 days, Wilderness in this context is giving specifically a contrast to populated places like cities, towns, things like that. The significance of this isn't that it's a terrain that he's going to, the wilderness specifically. It's that he is going to a place of solitude. He's going away from populated areas and away from people in order to be alone. 
That's why some translations, they'll translate this verse right here. Jesus often went away to lonely places for prayer. Solitude is often paired with silence. Jesus went off in solitude, and that comes with silence as well. If you read throughout church history, those two things are often put together in spiritual practice. Solitude and silence. And by solitude, I mean removing yourself from other people. And by silence, I mean removing yourself from all human noises, including your own voice at times, so that you can quietly listen to God. All right. I'm going to call out the silent elephant in the room here. Solitude and silence is not particularly exciting to talk about. I mean, maybe you're already nodding off a little bit just thinking about solitude and silence. Or maybe it just doesn't even feel important to you. Maybe you're like, do you know how much suffering or injustice there is in the world right now? Can we talk about something important like that rather than just talking about solitude or silence? Or maybe you're lonely right now. We've talked recently about there being an epidemic of loneliness in our society. You know, like the last thing I want to do right now is to have more quiet time by myself. Or let's just face it. I mean, we like the stimuli of sights and sounds and being around people and entertainment. We've become pretty accustomed to it, right? We have noise all around us all the time. There's something that's called noise pollution. And in the last like four to five years in particular, this has kind of become a hot topic. Maybe you've seen some articles on it. Noise pollution is basically the idea that since the Industrial Revolution, humanity is just making more noise all the time. You just think about it, more cars equals more noise. There's you know, honking, there's uh, the sound of revving engines, there's the occasional sound of a crash or something like that. Think about airplanes, more airplanes, more noise. You have the jet engine taking off and landing at the airport, especially if you live anywhere near an airport. I was just uh, hanging out with some friends this week, and they live right by the river. We were sitting on their back patio, and I was just talking to my friend, and suddenly this boat is going by on the river. This was the loudest boat I have ever heard in my entire life. It was like a drag car, but on the river. We couldn't even talk to each other. It was so loud. My friend was like, I can't even imagine it's pleasant to be on that boat right now. We make a lot of noise, and we make a lot of unpleasant noise, and that's really what noise pollution is all about. In fact, the people who talk about noise pollution, they do studies on how noise pollution affects us physically, how those unpleasant noises affect us phys physically. It starts in the amygdala, in the brain, which becomes overactivated when there are unpleasant noises. And then that activates the endocrine system, which then produces more uh, cortisol and adrenaline in your body. And then the sympathetic nervous system is triggered. And then that gets your heart rate going and your blood pressure starts going. And then that starts increasing plaque buildup in your arteries. And pretty soon there's heart disease and then there's heart attacks and there's stroke. Unpleasant noises 
are physically unhealthy for us, which is really unfortunate for me because I pretty much find all noises unpleasant. <laughs> One of my kids the other day said to somebody, Dad really doesn't like noise. Yeah, it's true, sweetie. Dad really doesn't like noise. Not only is there all that noise around us, but we also invite a lot of noise into our lives. And here I'm thinking about media. Think about television, uh, podcasts, audiobooks, radio. Does anybody listen to radio anymore? Music. Uh, you think about like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube videos. All that stuff is around us. There's a study that was just released this year. It was a pretty big study that determined that the average daily digital media consumption in America is 489 minutes. That's more than eight hours. Digital media does not include television, which is another three plus hours on average daily for an American. We surround ourselves with noise all the time. So much so that it is hard when we actually get away from it. It's uncomfortable for us to not have the noise around us. And let me just tell you here, I am squarely looking in the mirror. I'm always inviting noise into my life. I have background music on quite a bit. I am constantly listening to audiobooks. I've pretty much stopped listening to all podcasts right now unless there are specific recommendations that are given to me. But still, I am voluntarily bringing in noise into my life all the time. It makes me think about when we were driving home from vacation this last week and as I was driving, my mind started going toward this sermon, and I started thinking about, okay, God, what do you want me to say in the sermon? And then suddenly it hit me that my kids are in the back seat, and they've got like this little portable DVD player, and so there's the noise of that DVD, that movie playing in the truck, and then my four-year-old is giving commentary to the movie the entire time. So there's the noise of Finn giving commentary the whole time. And I've got an earbud in my ear, and I'm listening to an audiobook. And I'm trying to think about this sermon on silence. <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, that's the problem right there. I got it. All right. <laughs> They're great in their own way. I love that we have cars. I love that we have airplanes. And, you know, I think about the remodel here. I love that remodel is happening in this facility, even though, let me tell you, Monday through Friday, there is not a quiet place in this building. I was trying to find a quiet place this last week. And right in the moment when God was about to meet me, someone started hammering on the wall adjacent to where I was, and that kind of messed everything up. I mean, I learn a lot from audiobooks, I enjoy music, all of those things can be really good. The problem is that if I'm spending 686 minutes, that's the combined daily 
average for Americans of digital media and television, if I'm spending 686 minutes, that's 11.5 hours, if I'm spending 686 minutes a day with digital media or that noise all around me or even just looking at my phone, I have very little room left to hear from God. And even when I'm intentional about trying to hear from God, I'm not going to hear him very well because of all the other noise that's rattling around in my brain from the din that I've been listening to all day. Strong Coleman, he's an author, he wrote uh, in his book, Beholding, God doesn't tend to try to compete with our high-volume lives. I invite a lot of noise into my life, but God is waiting for me in the quiet. He's not competing with those noises. He's not trying to overpower them. He's waiting for me in the quiet. Everything else that I've surrounded myself with is trying to get my attention. It's trying to capture my attention. It's trying to influence me in some way. It's actually forming who I am. The noises that I invite into my life become a part of my being. They shape the way that I think, the way that I feel, the way that I interact with other people, the way that I function in society, the way that I uh, handle politics, all of those things. But the most important noise, the most important voice that I need to be listening to is the voice that calls me the beloved. It's the voice that I need to hear from God. But I've become so used to the noise that when I enter into silence, I have to reattune myself to what it's like to actually comfortably be in solitude in silence. Steph, uh, my wife, we were talking about this last night, and she was saying that it's like an addiction. And when you first get into a silent space, you have to go through detox from all of the noises that you hear all the time before you can even get to a place of enjoying the silence in any way. It's hard to hear the voice of God when there's so much noise. Let me give you another picture of what this might look like. Last year, I got to take my oldest daughter, Ruby, backpacking, and it was such a cool experience. It was the perfect backpacking trip for a nine-year-old. Uh, we went three miles into this lake. There was nobody else camping at the lake, so we had the entire lake to ourselves, and it was a really clear night, and I just remember laying there. We were laying in the tent together, looking up at the stars, and how amazed Ruby was at how many stars there were in the sky. She hadn't seen something like that before. It's not the night sky that we're used to. What we're used to is something like this. This is a picture taken from Mount Hood, and it's like one in the morning. It's the middle of the night. It's not like dawn or dusk or anything like that. 
And it's looking out over the Portland metro area and all the lights that are there in the city and you kind of see part of the mountain there still. And then you can see these stars up in the sky and it looks nice. You can see the stars and that's really nice. And the city kind of looks cool and there's, you know, there's a lot going on there. But there's so much that we're missing when you get away from the city and see what a night sky actually looks like apart from all the lights that are around it. These are stars that you can see with the naked eye if you get away from the light of the city. Many of our lives are so full of noise that the voice of God is really difficult for us to hear well, if we're able to hear it at all. That's all the external noise of our lives. But that's not as bad as the internal noise that's in our heads. This internal noise, it's less audible, but it is just as insidious, if not more so, than the external noises that we have to deal with. And this is probably more in line with what Jesus, what was affecting him when he would go away. I mean, Jesus didn't have to deal with like digital media or anything like that, but he did have, he definitely had noise in his life around him. And the noise that he primarily had to deal with were the voices of those people who either loved him or the voices of those people who hated him. The voices of the people who loved him said, you are really amazing and we should all experience more of you. Why don't you let your kingdom come now? And the voice of the people that hated him said, you have no importance at all and soon you will be forgotten. Sometimes those voices came from the same people. Just prior to our passage here, we're in Luke 5. Before that, in Luke 4, we've got the story of Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days. And when he comes out from the wilderness, from being alone for 40 days, he goes and he starts interacting with people right away in Galilee. And here's what it says in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Then he ends up going to Nazareth in Galilee, his hometown, and he's teaching in the synagogue there. And he teaches from the scroll of Isaiah. And if you're familiar with the story, this is often kind of like the mission statement of Jesus, what he came to do. And he finishes reading from the book of Isaiah. And then he says, today, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. And in verse 22, it says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. Well, then some not so gracious things came from Jesus' lips. And he pointed out that, hey, this is my hometown and you, my hometown people, might be wondering if I'm gonna do the miracles here that I've been doing in other areas. And let me just tell you that I'm not going to because I can already tell you don't believe. And because you don't believe, I won't do the miracles. Verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. 
Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. The same voices of praise and of hatred. This is just one incident in the Gospel of Luke. If you read through the Gospels, read through all of them, you'll get this time and time and time again. People either loving Jesus or people hating him. People who either wanted to build him up or people who wanted to tear him down. But before he heard those voices of building up or tearing down, he was alone with the Father, listening to the voice of the one who said, you are my beloved. So that when he came around other people, he didn't need their affirmation. And the criticism and the hatred That didn't sink him. That didn't affect him. In solitude and in silence, he rested securely in the love of the Father, which helped him to rightly take in all the other voices that he was going to be hearing. Jesus met with the Father in the wilderness, in that lonely place, to constantly have that reassurance of the Father's love as he made his way to the cross. To be betrayed, to be brutalized, to die, to suffer so much for us, but he had to hear that voice from the Father in order to accomplish that task. What noises do you deal with? What voices are you contending with? I'm going to ask you this question. Maybe it's tricky to answer. There could be really easy answers you give. There might be vulnerable answers that you give. But what voices are you listening to in life? Rob Wheeler. (laughs) Thanks a lot. I mean, I can stand here in awkward silence all day. uh, You listen to voices, though, maybe of people who are up here or people that you listen to. Maybe you listen to other sermons on podcasts, things like that. Those are voices that definitely have influence or shape you in some ways. They affect you in some ways. So thanks for the joke, Rob. Touche, right back at you. All right, what else? What other? Condemnation. Condemnation. Yeah. Often, whether we audibly hear it from from another person or whether we project it as if another person is saying it to us, we hear voices of condemnation. I I have gone too far. I have done too much. I am not worthy. Voices of fear, absolutely. We look forward at maybe what we could do in life and instead we hear voices of fear. I can't do that. I can't take that step. I can't do that thing because otherwise X, Y, Z is going to happen and that voice of fear comes in. Good, one more. 
Regret, regret. Got it in stereo right there. <laughs> Didn't need you to audibly do it in stereo because that happens in my head enough already. No, just joking. Regret. Yes, regrets sometimes, right? Those things, we look back on what has happened in our past, things that we've participated in and regrets end up coming to us and we play those tapes over and over and over again and they tear us down. The condemnation tears us down. We're tempted to listen to the voices that are gonna boost our ego, that are gonna make us feel better, but we ruminate on the voices that end up tearing us down. But the most important voice that we need doesn't puff us up and doesn't ever tear us down. It simply calls us the beloved. And that's the voice that we need to be listening to as we're going through life, as we're facing all the difficulties and the challenges that we're gonna face, or even as we're facing the successes that we are going to experience, the voice that we need to hear is the voice from the Father saying, you are the beloved. That is the voice of truth. There's some other truth out there, but it's only that voice that's always going to be true to us. And that's gonna give us peace and rest and reassurance in hearing that message from God so that we don't have to look elsewhere for peace or reassurance or rest. We find it alone in the quiet place where God is waiting for us, giving us that message that we are the beloved. There are a lot of uh, voices that I've heard in my own life that have affected me, some from the distant past that still affect me. Some of them are very contemporary uh, to what's happening in my life right now. And some of them are just kind of cute, you know, like when my four-year-old said, I only know one person who can tear down a building and that's daddy because he is the strongest person. (laughs) Thank you, Finn, I appreciate that. But in all seriousness, I speak up here and often you all, because you're so kind and gracious, will say very nice things to me about what I say. And I appreciate that. Some of you probably don't want to say nice things to me and I understand that too. But when you do, I appreciate it and I know that it can go to my ego. At any time, it can be feeding my ego. At the same time, there's a lot of criticism that I face in life. Some, you know, there's criticism. I remember one of my parents calling me stupid and it was an offhand comment. My parents didn't regularly do that, but that one stuck. That one stuck for a long time. Or there's criticism, you think about anything that's happening here in the church. We're a community of people, which means we aren't perfect, which means there are some things we don't like around here, right? I think that complaint box is on my desk maybe. I don't know, but there are those voices. And when they're coming at me, whether the praise or whether the criticism, I can't let my life depend on either one of those. I need to listen to the voice of the one who calls me the beloved. 
We'll go anywhere else in life for help, for reassurance, for affirmation, for uh, condolence, for ways of coping with our lives, anything to kind of carry us through life or even just kind of numb us through life in some way. But what we really need is prayer. This is what Henry Nouwen says. You have to pray. You have to listen to the voice who calls you the beloved because otherwise you will run around begging for affirmation, for praise, for success. And then you're not free. You're not free when you're dependent on those other voices. Dallas Willard kind of touches on this idea of freedom as well. He says, nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors that hinder our integration into God's order. In other words, we have to get away from all of the voices and the noise in our lives to get into solitude, to be in a different space in order for God to change us in some way. Don't let the voices or the noise around you in this life determine who you are, how you think about yourselves, or what you do in this life. The voice that we need to hear most clearly is waiting for us in the quiet. Go to that voice often. Like Jesus in his example, go to that voice often. So where are you at? Where are you at with solitude and silence? Do you already have kind of a regular practice, some sort of regular rhythm in your life of solitude or silence that you, uh, you could teach us in some ways? Do you even want solitude and silence? Are you just like, hey, I'm a doer. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna get things done. I don't need to sit still for anything and certainly not in silence. Or do you think it's even possible? Are you like a parent of young kids and you're just like, thank you, I would give my toe, my big toe, to have some solitude and silence. Mike, would you like to come over and watch my kids so that I could have some solitude and silence? Steph, how's that solitude and silence going for you, huh? Four kids at home, two thumbs up, there we go. It's not always easy in the circumstances of our life, that's for sure. Or are you already feeling alone? Like I said, maybe you're already experiencing loneliness and the idea of more quiet time alone is pretty hard. The, the quote that I put up there from Strom Coleman, he dealt with a pretty severe illness that left him in solitude and silence for a long period of time. And he said he first he hated that until he realized he wasn't even engaging with God in that space. And once he did that, once he fully recognized that God was in the room with him, that changed what solitude and silence was for him. I think we can face it though. Solitude and silence isn't easy and it isn't always straightforward. It's an act of humility, first of all. It's a big act of trust. If you think about Jesus and all that he had going around him, all of the significance of what he was doing and how important he is and how important he was at that time when he was on earth, that is an act of humility to step away from that 
to be still before God in prayer. It's an act of humility to say, I don't actually need to do everything. It's an act of humility to say, I can't rescue every situation. Or it's an act of humility to say, I'm going to let that fail so that I can go be alone with God. It also takes time, which is one of the biggest difficulties with it. Like any spiritual rhythm, solitude and silence isn't like a game machine where you put in a quarter and you get a prize back. It takes time. Listening to the voice of God, building up the practice of being alone and being quiet. Remember that aspect of detoxing from the addictions of noise that we have. There aren't immediate results for everybody because it's not about results. It's about being still and trusting God. And finally, it's also just kind of painful sometimes to be alone with our own thoughts. Maybe you've felt that way sometimes. I know when uh, there are times where I'm like having a bad day, my, 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 my brain is just not in a happy space. Maybe I'm upset at somebody. Maybe I'm upset at myself. And I'm driving in my truck. And I'm thinking whatever I'm thinking. And I'm like, yeah, these aren't happy thoughts. Just put that audio book on. Tune the unhappy thoughts out so that I can listen to something else. Because that's easier to do. There's a MIT researcher who... Uh, I can't remember the details of it, but the researcher was basically pointing out through their work that most people, like a strong majority of people, don't like to be alone with their own thoughts. They don't want to be still with their own thoughts. It's hard to do sometimes. So what do you do? Let's talk about just a few practical steps here as we wrap up. The first one I would say is just set a rhythm. If you don't already have a rhythm of silence and solitude in your life, just set a rhythm. Make it something that happens regularly in your day at, at a particular time because that's going to help you form a habit of it. Now, you don't have to stick exclusively to that rhythm because if you have another opportunity or moment for silence or solitude and you want to take it, you should take it. But setting the rhythm helps us to form a habit. The other thing is just start small. Because it's not easy, just start off with a couple minutes. Set a timer so you don't have to think about the time and just spend two minutes in silence. Maybe build up a little bit more then. Three minutes, four minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Start to build that up over time but start small and easy with it. The next thing is be still. Utilize, uh, recognize, I, I guess I should say, recognize that your body plays a role in all of this. So if you're actively moving around, you're not being silent before God. Find a place where you can sit still in an attentive position to pay attention to what's happening without falling asleep but without moving around everywhere. Then be attentive. Pay attention to what's happening. Be attentive to your own breathing. Be attentive to your posture. 
When your attention is driven away, which it absolutely will be, then utilize a particular word or phrase to kind of bring your attention back in. We've talked about this before here, a prayer word. Something as simple as Jesus or Lord Jesus, have mercy. Something that is just going to help bring your attention back to the space because your attention will wander away. And the last is just trust God. Trust God with it. Every opportunity that our attention goes away, we have an opportunity to turn back to God in trust, knowing that he is the one who calls us the beloved. And it's going to take it's going to take trust to build this up over time. One more quote from Henry, Henry Nouwen here. He says, it's not easy to sit and trust that in solitude, God will speak to you, not as a magical voice, but he will let you know something gradually over the years. And in that word from God, you will find the inner place from which to live your life. That's what we're after. That's why, like Jesus, we need to often go back to God in solitude and in silence to hear that word from him, to hear that voice from him. Let me pray. Father, you call us beloved. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. Totally sufficient in yourself, capable of all things, and yet you often went away in prayer. Thank you for teaching us that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are making us more like Jesus. Give us an openness to what you are doing in our lives. I pray, God, that you would help us in those times of solitude when we're alone, the quiet times, that you would meet us there. Sometimes in a really significant way. And other times that you just give us the patience over years to continue to meet you there. We love you and we trust you. Amen.